this is Christmas week, 2021. And we're actually recording on Christmas Eve Eve. Not a national holiday. It's for the serious people. You know? <laughs> and this week we uh, we gypped everybody. I guess that's a that's kind of a slur I've learned yeah, uh, no, against gypsies. So I I, I I take that back. We we screwed over everybody. No, we didn't really. Uh, we only did four scripts this week instead of five because for Christmas Eve we simply did a. Um, uh, a little meme with one of my favorite scenes, which is uh, Washington crossing the Delaware. Uh, nice, nice connection in, between American history and the celebration of Christmas. And a really good painting. I mean, it really is a first rate painting. It's, it's quite good. I'm a little weird. And I have a memory of a dream when I was a kid of being in the boat with George Washington and looking back and seeing the big seven up bottle in the back of the boat. Now, I don't think that was actually there in the actual crossing of the Delaware, but people my age, which is old, will remember that uh, there were those seven up commercials that had Washington's boat, you know, crossing the Delaware with a seven up bottle in the uh, in the back. I think there were commercials. It may have just been my dream. I may be the only one, uh, but I, I think there were actually seven up commercials. They had very inventive commercials back in the day. But not so inventive is this interruption, wherein I tell you that this is This Week of Common Sense, Paul Jacobs. Weekend podcast where he covers the big stories of the week that have appeared on thisiscommonsense.org, the website that he's been writing for since 1999. My name is Timothy Verkema. I help him with these podcasts. And now let's get right back into it, okay? We had a, uh, like I said, a short week, and I thought maybe we would talk about uh, the four scripts uh, briefly uh, before people get too much eggnog. I also wanted to talk about one of the Today in Freedom episodes. Okay, very good. And I should mention to uh, the audience that when Paul says script, he's referring to the commentaries that appear on thisiscommonsense.org. Yes, I cannot be helped because we used to do these as radio scripts, and so they're always scripts. Uh, but anyway, uh, there was an event uh, and we do, we, we've talked quite a bit. A lot of times we'll do a quote from one of the ones that was used this week. Every day we have a, a thought for that day, uh, which is somebody famous or uh, should be famous saying something uh, worth hearing and, and maybe commenting about. But we also do a Today in Freedom, which is just some piece of history that has some application to people who like freedom and would like to keep it. And um, this week on the 23rd, we had really important bit of history. Term limit people are very fond of George Washington. And in fact, polls I've seen when you tell people when they're talking about how long somebody should serve in office, and it is mentioned that George Washington served eight years and then voluntarily stepped down, almost immediately there's a consensus that eight years is enough for anybody. 
And George Washington, you know, to hear Tom Paine tell it, and I'm a Tom Paine fan, probably given a choice between Tom Paine and George Washington, I'd be with Tom. But Tom Paine said very nice things about Washington after his death. And Paine was the sort of guy who might not, who might not allow death <laughs> to change his opinion of somebody at all. Uh, there were political fights and, and Washington was a partisan. And of course, if he liked something you didn't like, then maybe there was going to be some, some disagreement and some pushing and, and shoving in a political sense. And, uh, and so, of course, there was that. But in the big picture, had George Washington been Fidel Castro uh, or Mao or Stalin or or, or the run-of-the-mill person who wants to be big and powerful and famous and important. And a lot of people want some or all of those things. Um, if he had been Fidel Castro, the United States of America would just be a different place. And most people are aware that after two terms as president, when he easily could have won a third and probably a fourth and a fifth, that... He said, no, I'm stepping down. You guys got this. And uh, it was just hugely important. But what they may not know is that years before that, when the revolution was won and when Washington had an army in the field at his command and there was talk of Washington becoming the next king, he went to Annapolis, Maryland, and found somebody uh, associated with the Continental uh, Congress and gave them his sword and resigned his commission as commander of the U.S. Army. And that was huge. And it's one of those things, especially in politics, Actions speak so much louder than words because all of their words are lies. And so this is, you know, it, it, Washington <clears throat> didn't say if things go really well, I'm going to be handing back this, uh, this commission. Uh, hey, I don't want to have power forever, but I, I really think there's some things coming up that I better take care of. He handed power back. And when he did it as president, it was not the first time. And so he, you know, he just, I think he just deserves, which is so unusual because when you think in history, look, he, he owned slaves. He, I mean, there, there's no difficulty finding some fault in George Washington or anybody else. Um, and big faults, if you look back 200 years plus. But from a, holding power and handing it back. Cincinnatus is probably can't wait to meet him, you know, in heaven. He's kind of, you know, hey, this guy is, I mean, he did it better than I did it. Uh, in fact, there's a there's a, a story and I wasn't there. Uh, and, and so I don't know if it was exactly verbatim, but there was a story that someone mentioned to King George that Washington had handed in his commission and stepped down and that King George said, scoffed and said, if that's so, then Washington's the greatest man in the world. Meaning Washington ain't the greatest man in the world and that ain't so. 
And like with quite a bit that had to do with the colonies, King George was incorrect <laughs> and proven so. That's one of those things that, that it's a good story. And it's not a good story because George Washington was one of the most perfect people who ever walked the earth. It's a good story because we all know in our heart of hearts that that's the way great men and women are supposed to act. That's doing what's right. That's paying it forward. That's everything that we want in people who hold political power. And so it's not about, it's, it's really not about George Washington. He's dead and gone. He's been dead and gone a long time. Anybody who knew him has been dead and gone for hundreds of years. It's about what he did and us remembering how doggone important that is. It's arguably more important than the Bill of Rights. Because had he said, I'm Fidel Castro and I'm going to be the supreme ruler, the Bill of Rights is a piece of paper. Instead, because he acted like a small r Republican, great things happen. Not just good things, great things for our country, for the world, for all kinds of individuals who otherwise would have lived in just another country where people don't have any real rights. Now, this is apropos of the image, I guess, for Christmas Eve Day. Is that correct? Yes, we, we use Washington crossing the Delaware, which he did actually on Christmas evening, as, as you were telling me. I couldn't remember whether it was Christmas Eve and into Christmas or Christmas night and into the next day. But big surprise attack, big victory uh, against Hessian mercenaries, and then later a victory in Trenton. And, uh, and hugely important because at that point in the war, this is the end of uh, 1776, I almost said 1976. Uh, this was the end of 1776 and it had not gone well in the, on the battlefield. And so it really was, was momentous and it gave some new life and momentum to the Continental Army and uh, the revolution. And, and uh, boy, what a momentous year. 1776 was, uh, you have uh, Common Sense, Thomas Paine's, arguably the, the uh, most popular piece of writing ever in the history of America, other than maybe the Bible, um, which is sort of kind of a different book and, uh, and is bought in a different way. But uh, it's, it's incredible, the penetration in, among the public that Thomas Paine's words in Common Sense had. And then, of course, you have the, the Declaration of Independence, and, uh, and, and at the end of the year, you have finally some victories on the battlefield and some reason to believe that, that this revolution might just succeed. Also in 1776 was uh, the publication of The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith in Britain, and in France, the publication of a book that almost no one reads or read at the time, I don't think, was uh, Condillac's a uh, treatise on government and political economy. And uh, and that had the advantage of uh, giving the world a, a third branch of political economy, basically, uh, a competitor to the Great Britain's school. So it was very interesting. It was a mighty good year. Uh, hey, so the first, first commentary 
I don't know why anybody would call it a script. It's obviously who, a commentary. Who would do that? Who would? I mean, we need to watch those people closely. We'll launch a full investigation. First commentary I almost said script was Shall I Sue? And uh, it wasn't Shall I Sue, was what was it? Should I Sue? What, what was fun about this is just that they are talking about in Congress, uh, hopefully it won't go anywhere, but it's Congress, so you never know, uh, that we really need to have the ability to sue if anyone says anything in social media that upsets us, causes us internal consternation. And of course, that upsets me. <laughs> That people who talk about just wiping out any sense of robust debate in a country that has brought robust debate to the world and the freedom to engage in that debate. And, and we talk about it all the time. We're going to continue to talk about it. But there is, there is a school of thought out there that basically... We need folks in government, folks in whatever position of whatever authority they have elected, some sort of, you know, uh, power mad person at some, you know, in some appointed position that we need people in power telling us what's okay to say, what's not okay to say. Otherwise, people are going to tell us things that might not be true. They're going to tell us things about this virus that nobody knows anything about. I mean, let's face it, we're how many years into it? Nobody knows anything about it. No one knows. But we're going to decide on one of the opinions, whichever opinion is coming out of the World Health Organization, uh, you know, as they're, as they're getting their check from, uh, from the People's Republic of China uh, and Xi Jinping, and they're, they're saying, oh, there's no chance of a, of a lab leak. Or, or what? Whose opinion? The CDC, which can't decide whether you need a mask or you don't need a mask. But when they say you don't need a mask, by golly, you better not say that you do. You better not contradict what they're saying. And then when they switch and they say that you must wear a mask and that it's wonderful and it's great, if you do a study or you find a study that says, no, it's not so great, Shut up. Don't tell anybody about it. If you do, you will be silenced and you will lose other privileges in our social media world. We, and of course, our last commentary this week is about China. But when you look at social media in the United States of America and the Western world, it seems to be following kind of the Chinese model that we need to be able to boss people around and tell them what they can say or not say. And we'll, we'll get to more about China, where, of course, they're going to just, I mean, stuff's going to go down a memory hole and people are going to be uh, blocked to where you'll never hear their name again anywhere online. I mean, it's a, it's a level of censorship <clears throat> that just, you know, makes ours pale in comparison. However, that <clears throat> that's not a justification for ours. Um, and it is absolutely frightening. And why shouldn't I be able to then sue members of Congress for bringing up these horrifying ideas of destroying everybody's freedom? 
Because, as we'll get to, when you destroy everyone's freedom, you know what else they lose? Any sensible sense of safety. Well, freedom is about security in one sense, the security of, to be in our persons and property. So that's really the same thing. And we should mention, the isn't the instigator of this piece of legislation Senator Amy Klobuchar? Yes. Yes, it is. I remember the first time I heard her name, I was told that she was a reasonable middle ground kind of politician. She was not a radical in any way. That's my memory of, of my introduction to her. She seemed oh. like a complete nut now. Yes. And you went through a lot of different mid-moderate this politician. She is a politician. And of course, as I always remember when I hear her name is the stories I've read about how abusive she is to her staff. You know, it's really important uh, to kind of look at people who say, oh, I care about everybody and see if they care about anybody. Because if you don't care about the people who are right there in front of you, how much am I supposed to believe that you don't care, that, that you do care about people you've never met? Um, or that you care so much about me that you get to decide all my issues. She has gone to every left-wing thing that she thought might bring her support. And that's what politicians do. Look, you know, they're always beating up on Republicans that they're, they're not hitting Trump on this or they're not disagreeing on that. Or, and they're doing the same thing. They're looking at the polls. Oh, yeah, I could beat up on Trump if I want to not have my seat anymore. And, and of course, people want to make that out that that's because everyone loves Trump so much. It's more that everyone hates the cabal in Washington. And Trump has successfully been able to present himself as the opposite of that cabal in Washington. The fact that the cabal attacked him mercilessly with lies for three years sort of bears that out to some degree. The media has made him the anti-politician. It has made him anti-Washington to a huge percentage of people who are very essential in the Republican Party. And, um, and you know, I, I, think, I think it's interesting. I think uh, it's probably true that nobody could have beaten Hillary Clinton in 2016 except for Donald Trump. And, um, and, I, and Trump, frankly, was a much better president than I thought he would be. Um, but now I think, uh, especially because of post-election behavior last year, uh, and I don't, I don't blame Trump for the, <clears throat> you know, people who, who riot someplace. You know, I don't blame the, the person who gave a speech at the protest of a Black Lives Matter protest for the violence that might happen that evening. Um, and I don't blame Donald Trump for the riot at the Capitol. I do blame him for not, for not positively doing the right thing after an election to continue what is one of the most important traditions in the United States of America and in other healthy, vibrant societies, and that is to step down, make every legal case, every argument you want to make. Um, I think there were a lot of irregularities in the election. I, I wouldn't call them fraud because I don't think that the biggest problems 
were what people would think of as fraud. Unconstitutional changing of laws to yes. allow a new form of voting, which can be game that we can't even track. I mean, that's... Yes, it was so poorly articulated. And you have to articulate it. And you have to go through, if you can't articulate it, and you can't win in court to say, yes, you're correct, that is what happened. And they say, no, that's not what happened. At a certain point, you have to obey the rules, which I think you did. But but if you do it grudgingly, like, oh, we ought, we ought just not to go along with this election, that's BS. I'm not sure I have a better word for it at the top of my head. It's just crap. It's, it's the way to undermine what's happening. And it's interesting, one of the texts that was released, and, and I read these things, and the media is always going to play it up as, as if everything's a smoking gun. And, and you read it and you realize, no, that's not what it is at all. But one of the texts that it may have been Sean Hannity or somebody sent to Mark Meadows or somebody in the Trump White House then was, this is undoing everything his presidency did. I think that Trump left Trump after election day or up to election day and that evening had had done a much better job than many people, myself included, thought he would and had in essence made the media look somewhat foolish for always acting as if the dictator, the, the you know, they didn't call him Hitler, but only because they wouldn't say such a thing about Hitler. I mean, it, it was almost that sort of, of just constant vitriol and constant, and look, he's an acerbic type personality. And so you kind of understand some of that, but it was way out of hand. And I think he did a, uh, the type of job and I have all kinds of complaints, and don't get me wrong, but just that it over it overcame the media narrative. And then I think post-election, he handed away a lot of that goodwill and good graces. And maybe I'm I'm pretending it's for a whole lot of people because that's exactly how I feel. I'm with you on this, basically. Uh, though I'm probably a little more lenient. I I actually think that he that 2020 was a very bad year for him. Uh, we, yes. We can all agree with that. And I, and, and I think that his- Because of the COVID too, which is you, you pointed out early on. Yeah, mostly because of COVID. And I think that was just a disaster. He should never have uh, put Fauci on stage. He should never have singled that man out because that man has been a, a complete disaster for the world. We should go next. We'll skip over one of them and, and let's go yeah. talk about yeah, Fauci. Well, you did talk about Fauci, didn't you? Okay. Well, and, and, uh, and, and in our- Talking about him, Fauciists on the march is the uh, is the commentary. I was going to call it a script again, and uh, uh, it's kind of a fun title. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure Anthony Fauci didn't think it was a fun title, uh, but I don't know if he's even a subscriber. But basically, you know this this whole thing and and the comments on this piece. Uh, I thought were really uh, on the mark. Like Karen H., who points out he helped to fund gain of function no matter how he spends it, which of course he spun it all kinds of ways. But his organization had to basically say, yes, 
We funded research. Yes, it was gain of function. Yes, it was at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But then she goes on, he hypes another mutation to a frenzy. And this is the thing that I notice. You've been all over, Tim. Other people are all over. Uh, but Karen is all over. And that is that, okay, we're worried about COVID and then we're worried about Delta. But look at all the hype on Omicron when this appears to be exactly what we, what we want, what we need the virus to do. And she points that out. Viruses mutate, she says. That's what they do. And typically, they mutate weaker. And that's what's happening. It's likely that this is going to be right now from everything we've heard from South Africa and other places, it, it hits more people. It's more contagious. <laughs> There's my words. <laughs> Use your words, Paul. Uh, anyway, it's more contagious. And, but it's not as deadly, not nearly as deadly. And so it's likely to spread throughout the population, up everybody's antibodies, and without killing a whole lot of people, taking this ultimately to something in which we have enough antibodies and everything, and, and the strains are not so strong, that it's like the cold, that it's something that's, what do they call it, endemic instead of pandemic, that it's, it's something we can handle without shutting down everything in society. And it almost seems, as, as, I can't remember who pointed it out, but it almost seems like it's the second that we don't need to panic around and run around with our hair on fire, they want to light our hair on fire and have us run around. This is, this is a reason for hope. It's a reason for us to, to be more confident that we can get past this and that we don't need to shut things down. And yet the media hype is just unbelievable. Omicron appears to be doing what we want a vaccine to do. It's going to get a lot of people. And it's to give them antibodies against the, the disease uh, without killing them. So in a sense, Omicron is, might deliver what the vaccines have failed to do, is yes. that it might actually deliver uh, something close to herd immunity or at least seasonal immunity with, with, with uh, the variants. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I think we should worry a little bit about how fast the variants have come. Uh, they seem to be coming faster than I expected, and that's odd. Would you expect him like one a uh, a season kind of that here's a, a new season a new variant whereas it's been a little faster than that. This is a new disease that's never been in the human population in the world before, so you expect the first variant to, to last longer and not not mutate so fast. So I'm just kind of curious how they explain the fast rate of mutations we have. There's five I think it's five major mutations now, and that's very interesting. Um, I'd like I I haven't been able to find an explanation I like of that. And I wonder if the Wuhan lab or some other lab has been helping us out a little bit here. So I don't know what's going on. And I think we should, we should at least worry about it or at least concern ourselves with the possibility. And also the fact that Omicron is faster than even than, you know, let's say that I, I would expect this, a lesser variant to come down the line 
uh, I guess it did, but we've already had two or three variants in between. So that's why it's a little bit surprising the, the pace. But uh, but one of the worries I've had from the beginning is that with a leaky uh, vaccine that is not a very effective vaccine, a, a treatment that's not very effective, uh, that we could lead to an immunoscape against the natural course, as your, as your commentator uh, says, uh, as the reader puts it, uh, it's what you expect to have it more virulent, but less deadly. But right. the, the fear of immune escape from a leaky vaccine is that you'd get one more virulent and more deadly. And so the fear is that the uh, universal vaccination and vaccination of a new against a new contagion could actually make a worse contagion uh, and by selection pressure. Right. Now, that's what I've read. I mean, even the, the man who invented mRNA technology says this is actually a major concern. Uh, and this is something that we've mentioned before. And I find this. They haven't hit the kill switch on us yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, since you said that, but there is a problem when there is such a focus on the vaccine. And like you say, <clears throat> This doesn't seem to be doing, I mean, if people who have the vaccine get sick and they die and and a lower rate and everything else, but it's it's not the best vaccine ever. And uh, and that seems to be pretty clear. And there's been such weird poo-pooing of any sort of treatment. You know, they had to go insane over what Trump said, even though if you actually go back and listen to what he said, Without being, you know, without trying to twist it in some crazy way, everything he talked about medical science is doing. No, they don't like rip open your arm with a machete and pour, you know, uh, laundry detergent in your wound. But they do actually find ways to get disinfectants in. You know, it's it's and I'm no doctor. I don't know it all. I just I just know after reading about it, I thought. So why did my media, you know, because I pay for, for them, the newspaper and uh, buy stuff occasionally that maybe helps the TV. Why are these people who are supposed to be working for me running around crazy trying to twist completely out of out of bounds what the president of the United States is saying during a pandemic? And of course, as we talked about, you know, Trump was not the, he wasn't, you know, Dr. Welby, uh, you know, he wasn't the guy maybe to do that. He was the guy to be in the back room going, get that thing done faster. He wasn't the guy to be out front and comforting everybody. Uh, but you're right. He also brought in Fauci and went along, even though the truth is the federal government was not doing mandates and shuttings, you know, lockdowns and so on. Those were state government creatures. But didn't they suggest them? It was the idea from the from the CDC. Or it was at first. At first, they were certainly behind the. Uh, you know, Trump was. Uh, we need to. We need to lower the. What? What is it? Uh, we want uh, to flatten the curve. Lower the curve and and make sure that that there wasn't this big jump where hospitals wouldn't be able to have any other customers. So what did they do? They made it to where hospitals wouldn't take any other customers. And basically there wasn't the surge that they thought there was going to be. Um, and, and then of course surges did come, but this whole thing. But almost nowhere like, did those surges 
overwhelm the hospitals to an extent yes. that destroyed the hospital system. It was actually lack of hospital usage in most states uh, during the th- mid-2020 that was the most damaging to the hospital system. And they also, as you reported at, at this is commonsense.org, uh, the uh, field hospitals that the uh, Army Corps of Engineers and, and the Navy and others provided were almost not used at all. Yes. Taken down within a f- few months. This is the story that is never talked about uh, in the mainstream media. It's it's one of the the government, the federal government, did precisely what it should have done if you believe governments should do things, these kind of things, and it wasn't it wasn't need, and needed. Right. Instead, what right. we got was this weird push for something that uh, Trump took credit for, which was the vaccines, which I think yes. is the worst thing he ever did. And, I, and for that reason, I don't think I want to forgive him. I don't. I don't. I. I, I will actively campaign against Donald Trump uh, for, for the for, for the presidency this next time because I think anyone who pu- pushed the vaccines shouldn't be president of the United States. Well, I don't feel that way. Uh, partly, <laughs> I think because I, I don't think you see any mandates coming from him, and, uh, and, and he, he pushed the vaccines, and the vaccines were a DARPA uh, project. And the NIH project, they had these systems in place and ready to go. The reason it was so fast was they were already right. basically had it because of the work they'd done at Wuhan, which was not delivered to the American people. This whole thing stinks. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm it, it does stink in lots of ways. I, I, I won't argue with that. I just think that I'm, I'm not convinced that the vaccine is is uh, evil or or that. And so I'm, I'm not ready to hold that against him for doing it or even rushing it. Because, of course, as long as you then say, look, we're trying to rush it. We think that's the best thing. We're not going to, you know, somehow come down on you and force you to take it. And, of course, now we do have a government that's, in essence, trying to force people to take it. Um, and, and, you know, it hasn't gone full blown. Everyone's forced, you know, uh, yeah. we all come to the stadium. Did you want to talk about any of the other comments? There were quite a few and they were good. And the one thing that not so free, a a regular commenter said is this whole thing has nothing to do with health. It's about control. It's all about control. I think there's every reason to believe that. It's the sort of thing where, as, as you remember at the beginning of this, I kind of urged, you know, look, we, we don't know what we're doing. Our government doesn't know what it's doing. Let's be very forgiving of honest mistakes. The problem with this has not been honest mistakes for the most part. The problem with this has been people trying to force other people to do what they tell them to do as if they know everything when they clearly do not. And the truth is you don't get to do that even when you're right. But you sure as heck don't get to do it when you're constantly wrong. And, and also, the even scarier, because even with a draconian government that's trying to force everybody, if they can't shut us up, we can talk to each other and we can undo these stupid policies. But they went the next step that we ought to be shut up and that they need to get the tech the private tech big corporations that they're, of course, signing contracts all the time worth billions and billions of dollars, that they need to get them to help shut us up and that they need to work together to shut us up. And so that's a, a huge problem. And as, as Daniel uh, Kean McKernan says, big doctor, 
is watching you. And it's not a way to have a free society. And it's not a way to have a healthy healthcare system. This is a, this is a, a, maybe the biggest damage that this pandemic will do is the long-term loss of esteem for, which is, is, is actually maybe positive, but loss of esteem for big government science, which is, you know, what, what is, is driving a lot of this and a loss of esteem for politicians and, and, uh, social media, because although I'm shocked so far, and when you think about it, major things like the lab leak theory, censored for a year, and then, oops, sorry, that's probably more likely than the other thing. So now we're going to let you talk about it again, without even kind of saying, oh, my goodness, we're sorry. And, and certainly without ever thinking, maybe we ought to, maybe we ought to be more careful going forward with this censorship stuff. Well, the ABC guy you quoted in this piece, that's that's the, actually the thing the, the thing I like most about the, this piece, which was, was a Wednesday's uh, uh, Faustus on the March. Excuse me. I can pronounce Faustus, but not March. <laughs> it's like, I'm like that. I'm like that where it's like you got one word that you're working so hard on that then you just can't get the other words. Faustus on the March. Ooh, anyway. that was good. Jonathan Carl, he talked about the, the number of cases that are up from the, the Omicron, right? And then he mentions the n total number of COVID deaths in America. And, but he doesn't mention the number of Omicron deaths in America. That's the interesting thing is that this should be available, this should be seeable by almost anyone if they're paying attention, because that's basically how you lie with statistics. It's a form of propaganda. So yeah, there are many more, more cases. And the thing we've learned so far about Omicron is that it's more virulent but less deadly. So then instead of talking about Omicron deaths or recent deaths, he talks about the total number of deaths in America. So it sounds horrible. I looked at that article and Fauci says a whole bunch of things uh, that are horrible. I mean, he basically yes. he wants to... There is no end of mask wearing as far as Fauci is concerned, as far as I can tell. Uh, there's no rationale to end mask wearing because there's always going to be some disease. Yes, and this seems to be so clearly one that masks don't work very well with. But it's like I, I see again and again medical professionals saying that they're helpful and I've and some studies saying they're helpful here and there. It just seems to me that so clearly, if you look at the macro, how helpful could they be when you see mask mandates all over the place and no, no stopping of the spread? Um, no, here, you know, there's another aspect of this that we haven't written about, but that that bugs me a lot. And I read a piece in the Washington Post this week where they're talking about how the red states, the Trump states, those counties, since June, those counties, which are mainly in the South, have been much worse. And of course, now it's getting to be winter and all of a sudden New York is having problems. And there was a doctor, I'm sure, he's, I'm sure he's been censored and arrested by now, but, but there was a doctor and I, I can't remember the name of, of him, uh, but it was months ago who mentioned that one of the reasons Florida and Texas were having problems in the summer was the same reason that up north they had problems in the winter. 
because this is something that spreads because you're a bunch of people standing in a room. And even if you're wearing six masks, the, the virus goes everywhere. And if you're in that room for an hour or so, the air's gone everywhere and, and you've gotten whatever's there. And he pointed out that in the summer is when people in the South are in those rooms. And in the winter is when people in the North tend to be clustered in those rooms more. And of course you see that happen. Now I know that because I watched this doctor and, and you know, maybe, maybe he made it all up. It has no basis in reality, but it sure seems to fit almost perfectly. And I have heard other people say the same thing, but it doesn't stop the media from in the summer going, oh my goodness, in Florida and Texas, and it must be because of their political views. And then it doesn't stop them going, oh my goodness, in New York, it's going crazy in the winter and not mentioning anything about their political views. This is, this is the media we have. And it's just, it's just gotten to such a pathetic stage. It reminds me a lot of uh, global warming, uh, wherein remember how in the early days of the global warming scare, uh, in the early 2000s especially, uh, whenever there was a major heat wave or and you know a hot day somewhere, it was a proof of global warming. But if if there was especially cold day somewhere, uh, and and maybe maybe a skeptic like me would mention it, we were mocked. And they would say, well, no one's weather event proves or disproves global warming. This is a whole climatic uh, right. issue. It's a global issue, blah, blah, blah. And yet they kept doing it over and over again, is that they kept doing the shtick in the, in, when, when it fit their narrative. And then they blamed the, the rubes for bringing up when they had an anomalous bit right. of data. And that's, that's, I find that to be going on here, too. And the, your example is a good example. And by the way, that doctor, I don't know which doctor you're talking about, but that is that is an important fact. That these seem to be the important facts is that this is spread in homes. That's the weird thing. The Where people live, locking people in their homes is where people spread the most viruses yes. to each other. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I, me- I remember Cuomo being actually shocked and expressing shock when, when there was still raging going on and it, they, things have been shut down. This is the first respiratory virus that's had summer peaks. Yes. This is the first. Yes. And that's very odd. And uh, there's another element here, according to some observers, is uh, it's been theorized that one of the reasons for such awful summer performance uh, in many areas has been the uh, reaction to lockdowns, is that much of this is that people are have... Uh, diminished immune response because they're broken people they're forced to wear masks and they're forced not to go their jobs and the people who are dying and and are harmed most by covid especially in the south during the summers are people who are poor fat and poor that's the people who usually get it and those are the people who have the worst effects and these are the person who've been hurt most by the lockdowns i hate fat shaming um just like any other sort of kind of meanness I'm not particularly fond of. But you're not helping people by being stupid and not mentioning that obesity is a big problem with this particular virus. 
that a lot of the people we did a, a commentary months and months ago i can't remember how long ago about one story where they basically said this kid this 13 year old girl died from covid see young people can die and it was a terrible thing and of course it is a terrible thing and then they showed a picture and and she was not you know morbidly obese but she was clearly heavy obese and and from a medical standpoint she had a huge risk factor and they need to tell people what the real risk factors are they need to say even though i don't think there's evidence that it's causation or why it's so but there's a correlation between vitamin d deficiency and serious cases of this and i don't know if that's stayed the same in in the delta or the new variant or whatever but again almost crickets in the media they don't they don't mention anything about it and of course when they talk about people of color or more app, a lot of times that's just socioeconomic stuff and it's poorer people and it doesn't necessarily have anything intrinsically to do with your, with your race uh, or your pigmentation. But in this case, when it's vitamin D deficiency, it does. And so it is important to kind of point that out because the lighter complected you are, the, the better your skin produces vitamin D. And, um, and, and although a lot of, a lot of people with fair complexion are deficient. So it's still worth telling them. Yeah. Like 20% of people who have white skin are deficient. And it's like, I don't know what the percentage is for if you're, if you're black or if you're Hispanic or, or whatever, but it, tell us the truth and stop walking on eggshells all the time. You're not helping anybody. Readers and listeners should go to Dr. John Campbell on YouTube. Uh, he's been providing daily updates uh, from a medical point of view on the whole COVID crisis for now a year or two. Um, and uh, he has dealt with the vitamin D situation and he's gone through tests and he's gone, excuse me, he's gone through studies that have come out since the beginning of this thing. Uh, one and one quite good one. And the vitamin D element uh, is a huge element with the flu and with almost and cancer. I mean, it's, it's vitamin D is a huge issue for nearly everybody if you're trying to uh, improve your immune system. And he does give that you to deal with COVID, you need to like quadruple the or more. It's a, it's a huge do dosage of vitamin D that is now suggested, along with vitamin K and zinc and a few other uh, co what would you call them? Uh, Co-treatments, uh, co-minerals. Yeah. Co yeah. uh, there's a, there's a number of things that you should take, sort of as a cocktail every day to keep your systems uh, up and up and ready for this this new contagion, and uh, and uh, he's very convincing, and the vitamin D factor is not just about COVID. This is about nearly everything you want, and since the immune system is the main factor in fighting off all this. And you can fight off a disease without having antibodies for it. Your immune system is, it's, it's sort of, that's why right. children are so good with this generally is they have an intact immune system still. Uh, it's older people who are, have the bigger problem because their immune system uh, right. is worse over time. And I just think that the main indicator of the perfidy of our government and people like Dr. Fauci is that they never mention vitamin D and tell people that they need to make sure that they uh, have vitamin D levels up to snuff. 
and that this yeah. is not this is not renegade science. This is not in any way controversial. Uh, this has been known since the beginning. This has been suspected, and it's since come out to be quite certain that vitamin D is the best way to uh, approach this. Vitamin D and other and minerals and so forth to, to counteract a deadly, uh, sometimes deadly disease. How many people might hear someone like you or I saying this and then want to go get that confirmed by some official source? And again, crickets so that they, you know, I mean, it's the, this is, this is part of fighting it. And, and when you see that like everything has gone in to sell this, you know, the, the vaccine without any of the other, you don't have to be anti-vaccine to say something's not right here. And, and, you know, part of, of what's not right. I remember seeing a story the other day that uh, I think it was Pfizer's uh, stocks really doing well. Well, it, it should, because they've uh, reaped huge rewards off of this thing, like into the billions and billions of dollars, um, more than in one year, more uh, profits than the whole, record industry, for instance, the whole music industry in America, uh, which is a l very large industry. So there, and we're like, like it's double the amount. So it's a quite a, quite a, quite a statistic. I didn't look at it carefully. I just heard it on uh, Jimmy Dore, uh, the comedian, Jimmy Dore, uh, yes. who, uh, at first, one of my favorite leftists. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I never paid much attention to him, uh, because he's such a leftist. But what was interesting about happened to Jimmy Dore and uh, quite a few other people, too, is that over time, they started off just like me, uh, maybe a little befuddled, but not not really against any advice. I mean, I was for masks uh, before any mass mandate. Yeah, me too. If you don't know what's going on and maybe there's a way of helping things out, you know, that's what you do is you help things out. Right. But the, you also start learning. And he learned after uh, quite a ways into this and after having... Uh, some real health problems uh, he's now realizing that this is this is uh, crony capitalism at its worst because what we have here is a government uh, business relationship and Dr. Fauci has been on the side of big pharma for his whole career that's his great claim during a period during a period which Robert Kennedy Jr. mentions during a period wherein the number of allergies and immune system problems in America have increased many many magnitudes over well for one our our life expectancy is going down especially for male people yeah and uh, and i'm of that persuasion so uh you know i i recognize that it's we've got some real problems and here's a here again fauci's got an awful lot of power and he's been there for 40 something years i don't think it's just 40 i think it's 47 or something i mean this is uh, maybe not the healthiest situation, no pun intended. I actually go one step further than you. I think it helps to be anti-vaccine because I think the only reason we have the vaccines by American regulations was that they had to downplay other treatments, other effective treatments, hydrochloroquine and right. ivermectin and vitamin and therapy. And some new ones. And some, and new, some ones. new ones coming, but, finally. But, but. That's part of the deal is they didn't they had to downplay the ones that were readily available, because if they were available, the, the vaccine could not be pushed through, uh, pushed through Using on an emergency basis. Right. And right. That's why I'm against the vaccines. And it's why I blame Trump. I don't blame Biden, really. Biden's a buffoon and is, shouldn't be in office for the, for the same reason we shouldn't have people wearing diapers in office. But but 
but Trump, I think that Trump made a huge error, and I think that that's what cost him his presidency, and he deserved to, even if it may have been he was tricked. I mean, he was tricked. I mean, that's. But uh, and this is one of my favorite rants to give to against conservatives. <laughs> and I, mean, I want to make it now because we don't ever talk about it. Is that conservatives have always liked the down homey, low key, non intellectual approach to politics. They like people like Sarah Palin. They like people like Ronald Reagan and the in the Oshocks approach. They don't like intellectuals. That's the thing about conservatives. I don't mind that except for one thing, is that they keep on selecting people like Trump who don't know anything. He's not a dumb man, but he didn't know anything. He thought the swamp was something he could drain. He couldn't right. drain the swamp. I think you make a good point there. Um, I wouldn't compare Sarah Palin with Ronald Reagan in that Reagan was more of an intellectual, and it depends on what you mean by that. I, I have kind of an anti-intellectual edge in that I hate pompous jerks. And so, and so there's like, you know how they have those circles and they overlap? Well, intellectuals, part of that circle overlaps with pompous jerks. And there's nothing more anti-intellectual in reality than rent-seeking academics. And, and, and this whole, and the, well... I read this book or I went to this school. So I'm, you know, so, so there, I've got that edge and I have to recognize that um, and kind of applaud it internally. But, but I also, I also respect people who know stuff and it really is important to know stuff or to be sitting next to somebody who knows stuff because real facts matter. And you're right about, Trump thought it was a lot easier. And I'm somewhat amazed that with really, in essence, not much of anything behind him. You know, other people come into office, for instance, had Ronald Reagan, uh, not had, Ronald Reagan did become president. And he brought a bunch of people in who you could disagree with. And I'm sure some of them were fuddy-duddies and didn't know what they were doing. Most of them were very sharp people who did as well as anyone else know what they were doing. And there was a level of competence there. And I could see had, had McCain Palin won and McCain, you know, fell off a, a cliff or something, uh, heaven forbid, and she becomes president. And then it's that we could be in trouble. I mean, I look at, I look at Biden now and I think, you know, there are days where he seems to be with it. And then other times where no, but you know what, President of the United States, I think you got to be with it every day. And, and so it's, it's, it is kind of scary. And I think you make a, a good point. But I don't think it's so much against the, I mean, they are looking for someone who will fight against the power in Washington. And they were right. I, I remember my father who, who voted for Trump, uh, his only person in, in, of all the kids and grandkids and everything he had. I think he was the only enthusiastic Trump supporter and, and wasn't you know, a big fan of his personality, but kept saying he's the only guy who will do anything different, who will rock the status quo boat and uh, didn't live to vote for him in November. But I think he ended up being right that he was the only guy who would do that. 
And, um, and, and that's what they're looking for. And I don't think, I don't think they'll say, Oh, you're too smart. You know, as long as you're not a jerk. Um, and, and I think that's, uh, we've talked before about the Elizabeth Warren and her little beer. I'm going to have a beer now because I'm a regular person. People, poor people are not anti the rich guy. Unless the rich guy is going to put on some BS, you know, suit and pretend he's something else. Um, people who are not as in intellectual are not anti the super smart guy unless he's going to pretend that he's not super smart and that he's just like them and be real and authentic. And that's what people want. And I think, I think there's a, an authenticity to Trump that really took him a long way. And then I think there's part of him that's not at all authentic. That is pretends to be the expert on everything. And I can fly by the seat of my pants and I have great people when he hasn't done the hard work of having great people around him. And so it's all BS. Hey, oh, he's terrific. Well, if you're just lying, doesn't make the guy actually terrific. My complaint about, about Trump was not that he wasn't smart, but that he didn't know anything. And I, yes. and that's actually my complaint about conservative, the normal conservatives. I think most conservatives, because the conservatives and not <laughs> libertarians uh because of their conservatism they think that the government is not what it is and i think lots of people in america are found out along with trump just what the government is that's actually i think it was a very interesting learning experience and i think the trump years i'm not saying i'm really for trump uh or and it doesn't even matter if i'm against him what's most important about what happened during the trump years is that the deep state showed its hand didn't show its complete hand, yes. it showed its hand. Yes. And that is, I think, the most instructive thing that's ever happened. Because, you know, I used to say to friends, I, I used to push Libertarian Party candidates for the presidency. That was something I did. And, uh, and, and uh, but they, but they says, well, what could he really accomplish? And then my answer always was, oh, he wouldn't accomplish anything. If he attempted to do anything, they would kill him. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I mean, that was the thing. I mean, you know, and in fact, that's that's actually how I think that the Libertarian Party candidate should run, is that I'm willing to die for you because if we if I get in office, they're going to kill me, and that would be the most effective campaign that you could possibly imagine because I think people now would understand. Yeah, that's what they would do. If you were actually a real threat to the government, of the the real government of the United States, they would kill him, and Donald Trump got close. They couldn't kill him because he had a lot of popularity and a number of other things. But they did something they, they did. You know, they went a little bit crazy because they're not able to kill him. But they would be able to kill a libertarian. That's that's not even a problem. Ron Paul would be dead if he'd been elected in 2008. Well, I think I've, I've heard people speculate the, that exact thing. I have to say, I can't know who they are, what they would do exactly. Um, and we just have to kind of do what what we're going to do. And, and so I, I don't ever kind of go down that road to, to think about it very much, but there are people who have billions of dollars on the line. And so when you see huge pushback, uh, and this goes for all cases, all times, when you see huge pushback, um, be ready to help the person being smashed. 
because it's it's rare that the 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 folks representing average folks are going to have the power to smash people the way that big labor, big business, and and uh, you know on, on all kinds of things they're on the same team, and uh, on all kinds of things the Republicans and the Democrats in Washington are on the same team. They're only on different teams if they see that they can gain some advantage from that. Um, they do what's in their self-interest. And if you look at the, the net worth of these Congress people that just goes up and up and up the longer they're there, I rest my case that they do what's in their interest. And these fights that some of us go, geez, that's just ruining the country that we can't come together and make some policy here or there. It's not ruining it for them. It's helping them get reelected. It's helping them have a have a, a way to, you know, to be there and be in power. And that's what they want, because it's very lucrative. Uh, in addition to, you know, having your ego, uh, uh, you know, stroked. You wrote two other pieces this week. We've I did. About, and, and the, only two. And I think I don't know what the time is, but it's. Oh, uh, we're, we're, we're terrible. And, and people are going to they're just say, hey, look, uh, hold Christmas. Hold the presents. The kids can handle that. We got to watch the rest of this podcast. No, uh, one was a closer IRS. And someone suggested that they need to take a closer look at people because there's lots of money that's not being collected. And so the Biden administration wants to hire almost 90,000 new IRS agents and take a closer look at people by having the banks Tell them if you have more than, you know, what amount of money you have going in and out of your bank account. If you have, and I started it, if you have $600 or more going in or out, which, uh, you know, that's most people, I think. Uh, this is in a year. So, you know, unless you're making only $599 a year, um, yeah, that's most people. So they raised it to 10000 which, of course, is still most people. But it also what what ten thousand six hundred what who gives you the right to in essence invade people's financial private accounts when you don't have any reason to believe they've done anything wrong? This is basic, fundamental, innocent until proven guilty, Fourth Amendment right to be secure in your papers. If they have reason to believe like probable cause reason that they can go to a judge and say, look, here's all the reasons we think this person has violated the tax law. We want, we want a warrant to get their bank records have at it. Otherwise, what the heck do you think you're doing? And this is our representatives. Our representatives think we wanted them to hire nearly 100,000 new IRS agents and get all of our personal information and delve through it, hoping that they can pop us for something? This is insane. And yet, even this is, you know, this is commonsense.org. This is the first we really talked about it. We've alluded to it in some other scripts, but I, I, I thought, my goodness, I can't believe we haven't, you know, gone crazy about this. There's so many things to go crazy about. But this is it is both serious and real to lots of people. Uh, my wife and I went through an audit years ago when, when I made even less money than I make now. 
And, um, and, you know, so it's not like they can't audit people who, you know, I thought, my goodness, what do they think they could possibly get? We don't have anything. And so, uh, you know, they can go after lots of people. And if you think, oh, it's only the, the rich folks they're going to go after, you need to need to think again. So this is a is a serious situation. They've only backed down on, on making a little bit higher amount. This is going to come. It was part of the build back better thing. It's going to be coming back. Uh, bad ideas in Washington never seem to die. They just get repackaged. And then the other script, uh, script see, uh, the other commentary, very free with a question mark. And that is because uh, Peng Shui, who is uh, the Chinese tennis star who wrote that she was pressured. And it's not clear whether it was forced s- sexual activity or just kind of intimidated and browbeat into sexual activity. Those are different things, although both of them in- incredibly disgusting. Uh, and, and power gone mad. Well, there's China. But the interesting thing about this case to me is that Look, in, in lots of countries, power like every one of them, powerful people, usually men, almost always, uh, take advantage either by committing a crime against some woman working for them or that they have some power over in some way or shape or form, or harass them or intimidate or grab you know, just it, it's just the disgusting level and how high do they go? Does it get to criminal activity? all scandal, all disgusting, but that's not very unique to China. What is unique to China is that when somebody says this, most places they you get microphones, what, are, what did it really happen? Or what are you saying exactly happened? Oh, we're gonna investigate that. Not in China. In China, her post is pulled down so that nobody sees it as soon as the censor sees it and says, oh my goodness, free speech has reared its ugly head. And here's someone attacking a government official. Then all of a sudden she's gone from the internet. Now this is somebody who, you know, they, they have a little different version of the internet in China, but this is someone who, you know, you gotta figure their, her name's in quite a few different places. She won a doubles championship, I think at Wimbledon. Uh, you know, she's kind of a big deal. She's the biggest tennis star ever in the history of China. And, um, and she's gone. And so after weeks, the Women's Tennis Association says, hey, what's going on? We want to see her, talk to her. And all of a sudden, there's a, a stupid email thing where, where Chinese state-owned media outlets are like saying, well, we have an email where, you know, she pretty much said, hey, I'm just doing fine, no problem. These are not the droids you're looking for. And, uh, and, and then that didn't quite work. You know, everyone went, come on. And then the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, which most people don't realize, I didn't realize and, until I read a New York Times article, it's linked at, at uh, very free question mark uh, at thisiscommonsense.org. The New York Times did a thing, the IOC is getting tons of money and has for years from China and has people who have just given glowing testimonials about how wonderful China is. I mean, they've got millions of people 
in concentration camps, there's a genocide going on. It's not their first. There was a genocide against Falun Gong. It's just, I guess, the, you know, it didn't go, they killed enough of them fast enough that, that you know, the world hardly noticed, although it's still sort of going on. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons to realize that China is a menace. But somehow it's this story about one professional tennis player who's connected to other professional tennis players who have some cachet, some ability to get onto the media. And all of a sudden people recognize, oh, this is a real problem. And the more she comes out, like, because the latest thing is she had this impromptu interview where impromptu, it was, <laughs> that's in, in air quotes, uh, and where she says, oh, I didn't say I was sexually assaulted, which, of course, she didn't say. She said she was pressured into having sex and it wasn't, wasn't quite clear whether it was criminal or, that's not the point. The point is, this is a person who's not allowed to speak freely. And we all know it. And one of the things I see, because I'm constantly reading stories about China, I believe that, that these next few years are, are going to determine whether we have a World War III or not. And that's, to me, a pretty big deal. Um, and, and so I'm reading stuff all the time. And so often what China's all about is hinted at is they, they talk in, in euphemistic language. It's not, what's the problem? What's the tension between the, U, the uh, Chinese and Taiwan? Well, the tension is the Chinese say they may just blow them up and come take them over by force. And, oh, because they belong to China. Well, you know, that's not how it works. There's an island, there's 24 million people. They don't want to be taken over. Case closed. What's the, um, you know, what they talk about, I've had people tell me that, that China, you know, they've never invaded any other countries. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, how, did, how did Tibet become part of China? And they're still, that was 1949. It's 70-something years later. They're still trying to stamp out any sort of religious freedom in Tibet, any sort of identity as Tibet. And look what's going on in Xinjiang. It's, it's, I mean, we have to, and, and a lot of times people, well, what are you going to do? What can, you know, the U.S. can't do everything. We don't even have to get to what we're going to do. I mean, we do ultimately have to get to that, of course. But we have to start by saying we're going we're gonna to say if the sun's up and it's a blue sky, that it's a blue sky. And if China says you can't say that, we're going to say it anyway. And if we have to stop doing business with them, if we have to, whatever we have to do, we, we need to do it. And if we start to deal with that reality, I think pretty quickly we realize we've got a heck of a problem on our hands. And I'm talking as a citizen of the United States, but as a citizen of the world, we're not safe in the United States. We're not safe anywhere in this planet. This is a small planet and those hypersonic uh, missiles and so on kind of suggest it's getting smaller all the time. And so we have to do something. We've got a heck of a problem. And the first step is recognizing it. And uh, I realized that two years ago, I went to Hong Kong, I went to Taiwan. When I was flying out of uh, Taipei to come home, 
I just thought to myself, I need to add Taiwan to my list of things to do. Keep Taiwan free. And, and you know, this is, this is the way lunatics like me think. You know, I, I realized, look, I'm probably not the guy who's going to make the exact, you know, margin of difference in whether Taiwan is free or not. I just put it out there for myself to realize this is something desperately important and I'm going to do what I can. And because I think it is that important. And in those two years, it is amazing to me how much the world has woken up to the problem, how much the United States has woken up. Now, part of it is the coronavirus uh, pandemic and the fact that that Chinese, you know, uh, totalitarianism basically made it to where that was worse. They still haven't come clean. You know, that woke a lot of people up. But what happened in Hong Kong uh, and 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 their belligerence just across the board from, you know, threats against Taiwan to this situation with a Chinese tennis star. Um, and so I'm, I'm very hopeful that the world has woken up in time and that we'll continue to wake up and then we'll make the right decisions. We'll make a zillion wrong ones too, but we will address the problem staring us right in the face. And uh, at least that's my hope. Well, on a hopeful note, we could actually conclude a podcast. Let's do it. And uh, happy holidays, Susan's greetings, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, because I missed it uh, this year. I, actually, I said happy Hanukkah to a few people, but I, I didn't say it on the podcast. And, uh, and so uh, it's, it's nice at the end of the year um, to have these nice holidays uh, Christmas always kind of a new beginning and, um, and hope, you know, without hope, nothing good happens. So we, we have, and, and we have reason to be hopeful because the truth is we still have a lot of power, a lot of power in our hands. We've got, we've got, we're going to need all of it because we have powerful enemies and not just in Beijing. Uh, so we're going to need it all, but we have reason, I think, to be hopeful. Okay. Well, that was for the third week of December 2021. Yeah, and, and I, I, was, I was thinking, when I say that, Tim's going to say, absolutely. We... <laughs> well, I, I suppose you might be right. There might be some hope. I'm, 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 willing, to, I'm willing to grant you that. <laughs> anyway, uh, I should tell people that we have a Rumble account. Uh, and so far, I don't think there have been very many people who've uh, uh, subscribed yet. So people should subscribe on the Rumble account. I may not put this, the whole thing anyway, up on YouTube because I, I, I said something that was uh, not YouTube friendly. And uh, the truth. And, it, <laughs> and then, of course, SoundCloud. So we're, all, we're always on SoundCloud. So there you are. And SoundCloud doesn't spend a lot of time censoring people. Not at all. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I like yeah, that. They haven't been gotten yet. Okay. Yeah. Talk to you later. Thanks, man. Okay, bye. Bye.